Good evening and welcome to Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. You are here with your hostess, Lauren Smith. And tonight we are going to be chatting with Todd Neese. Um, I'm very excited about that. I actually got to meet him on my trip out west. So um, I'm excited to have him back on the show and see what he's been up to since he was on about, it's been over five years, I think, since we had Todd on. So I'm very interested to see what he's going to tell us tonight. But before we get into it, I would ask that you please show some love for that hardworking Nightcallers crew and hit that thumbs up on whatever platform you're using to listen to the show. And don't forget that you can go to nightcallersproductions.com and see all the projects that I'm working on and all the different ventures that I have going. I stay busy, you guys. Go check it out. So I am not going to keep you guys waiting. We're going to go ahead and bring Todd on. How are you doing tonight, Todd? Hi, Lauren. It's great to see you. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing fabulous. Uh, trying to stay cool. It's very hot here in Oklahoma. I was really getting into that bumper music. I thought maybe we should just roll with that. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, I always end up like rocking out to it while I'm waiting for the thing to go through. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for coming on tonight. Um, so I... I mean, so we got to meet finally in the Pacific Northwest. I got to meet you at the Medellin Falls Conference and then saw you again at Beachfoot. Um, so that was I'm, really fun. <laughs> yeah, Beachfoot's a, a real kick. We we enjoy putting it on. This year was our 14th year. And uh, it just seems to be taking on a life of its own. So I guess we'll just keep doing it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it was my first time, obviously. But... Um, I I had a, a really good time. Um, uh, I know I felt welcome. Uh, my kids were welcome. Um, I just met a lot of great people there. Um, so, okay, I just want to let everyone know real quick, um, the streaming platform that I use changed their settings. And so if you're just now seeing this, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it everybody's like, it starts at eight, right? <laughs> yeah, sorry, guys. Y'all should be able to see everything now. But anyway, back to Beachfoot. Yeah, I had a really great time. Everybody was really welcoming. Um, just I met a lot of great people, made a lot of great contacts. You guys put on a really good event. Well, thank you. We were happy to have you there. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I, I don't know. I just I will definitely I definitely want to go back. Um, I know Barb asked me to speak at next year's event. So um, oh, great. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that, uh, but I'm just looking forward to seeing everybody again. That was really fun. Okay, so um, now that we're actually streaming, <laughs> can you uh, tell me what got you into the Bigfoot topic? What got me into Bigfoot? Well, my uh, uh, baptism, if you will, into the <clears throat> the Bigfoot realm was rather abrupt and unexpected as I'm sure it has been for some of your listeners. Um, I was not a believer in Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And uh, even as a somebody who's grown up all their life in the Pacific Northwest, of course, you hear about it. And it's uh, I, I just relegated it to uh, some kind of a crazy campfire story for the most part. You know, I do a lot of hunting and hiking and fishing and um, never seen anything. So. Um, my uh, little epiphany happened on April 3rd of 1993. I was uh, training with the Oregon Army National Guard, 
and we were in the coast range just um, east of Seaside, about five or six miles between Seaside and Saddle Mountain. And um, that particular uh, day, we had permission to use some private timberland to um, do some very large explosions. As a combat engineer, we use a lot of explosives in our in our training and our duty. So um, this particular Saturday, we had gone up and we had three different sites to blast at, different scenarios at each at each site. And we had we we had done uh, we took care of the first two sites. It's probably three o'clock in the afternoon. A beautiful day for April in the Coast Range, mm-hmm. and. Um, we had a cratering charge, which is like 250 pounds of ammonium nitrate that we had been uh, soaking in diesel fuel for several hours. And uh, basically, a cratering charge is used to like blow a road in half so nobody can mm-hmm. use it. Anyway, we we um, we we uh, set the fuses, and obviously the SOP is to get the hell out of there. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I think we had about 11 minutes to get out of out of range, and so we all jump in the rigs. There's two Humvees up front, uh, troop transport, uh, what we call a deuce and a half uh, as a third vehicle, and then the commander's Humvee was uh, taken up the rear. And um, so I was a passenger sitting behind the driver, and because it was a nice day, I had the window open, and I'm I'm just kind of had my arm out the window and because I did hunt that area, it was just natural for me to be looking about the countryside to try to see, you know, deer, elk, whatever. And, uh, as it happened, we, we started into this kind of a sweeping right hand turn and the, um, the tree line lowered. Um, there were some larger trees that we were in, but then we came into an area they just replanted, so it was pretty low. And it gave us a direct line of sight to down toward where the the second quarry was, the quarry we had uh, detonated maybe an hour before. And what caught my eye was these three very dark figures standing right out in the... Uh, right out into the, the, the gravel pit. I mean, when I say dark, I mean, I, I would, I assume they were black, if, mm-hmm. but against that kind of uh, light gray basalt background, the contrast made them really stand out. My first thought was what the heck are those people doing down there? Yeah. I didn't, didn't say heck, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I just all think, you know, it's on my head, but I'm like, I'm like, cause when we do this stuff, because of the danger involved, we don't, let people wander around willy nilly. I mean, everybody's got to mm-hmm. be together and accounted for. And so when I right. saw it, I'm like, uh, I'm like, what the hell are they doing? And then I looked and the more I looked, the more I realized I'm not looking at people. Um, aside from being jet black with, uh, uh apparently no clothing on, um, <laughs> which you would have been able to make out from that, that right. distance. Um, their silhouettes were very unhuman, if you will. I mean, yeah, they were standing on two feet, but these arms were way too long. I mean, they mm-hmm. they, they they hung down between the the knee and the ankle, and the legs were 
disproportionately long as well. But, you know, their head sat squarely on the shoulders without a real discernible neck. I mean, mm-hmm. these things had trapezoids that probably started at their ears and just went straight out to the shoulders. They were, they all looked like bodybuilders, really. Um, The one in the middle was uh, maybe a head taller than the two on either side. And and the ones on the side weren't short at all by any means. The one in the middle, I estimated about nine feet tall, uh, easily four feet across, if not more. And, uh, but what I could make out was this, uh, this barreled chest, um, and it tapered down to the waist. Uh, so, I mean, they would have been great, uh, great football players for sure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the the main thing that convinced me I wasn't looking at people was the fact that the, while the one, the taller one in the middle stood there like a, like a statue, didn't really even move. The, the two on either side of it were doing this, um, rocking side to side swaying back and forth like they're shifting weight from one foot to the other and in the process these long pendulous arms are swinging uh below their knees mm-hmm. and this wasn't like a five second or whatever you know something ran across in front of my car i think it was a bigfoot thing i, right. I watched them for nearly a half a minute 25 seconds easily and while 25 seconds doesn't sound very long you know look at your Look at your watch for 25 seconds. Trust yeah. me, you'll you'll get bored real quick. But mm-hmm. 25 seconds of seeing what I saw that 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 seemed like an eternity. Yeah. And I just went, you know, through this very, you know, the surprise of seeing people or what you know what I assumed were people to realizing what I saw. Uh, there was a a moment of um, I don't know. Um, uh, I didn't want to believe it. I tried to think it, it, it's got to be anything but what I'm seeing. But mm-hmm. but uh, um, I, I I finally settled into what I was seeing. I can't. I mean, I can't unsee it. So um, I 25 seconds passed by, and we rounded another corner, and I just kind of collapsed back in my seat, and I really didn't know really how to, how to process it. You know, you, there was that initial denial and then it was like, Oh my God. And then it's like, they're gone. Yeah. And, uh, a thousand questions are swirling in your mind. You know, what do you, what are you going to do with this? I mean, have you seen something that's, that's scientifically historically important and what do you do? Um, uh, do you dare speak out about it? You know, there, um, and I kind of fell into that camp, which I believe about one out of 10 people do, which is, which is just, uh, keep it to themselves. Right. Um, and I just said, Todd, just file that one away, you know, (laughs) in, in your own little personal file. And anyway, so, um, we got down to the staging area, which wasn't that far away, actually, a couple hundred yards. And my first instinct was to get out of the vehicle while the two vehicles behind me were still coming in and positioning themselves. Was I wanted to I wanted to see them again. So I started jogging back up the road, and I went as far as I dared. Again, with that 100% accountability uh, rule applied to me as well. So I didn't I could not 
leave view of everybody. I went as far as I could, and I'm standing there on my tiptoes trying to look over this this uh, this kind of a berm that kept me from seeing the the uh, the quarry directly. And um, while I'm doing that, I hear somebody call out my name. Somebody said, "Hey, niece," and I look over to my right, and here's Sergeant Martin coming up to me. He goes, I said, yeah. And he goes, what are you looking at? And I dropped my hand down to my side and I said, nothing. And he just <laughs> kept walking up. He's smoking on a cigarette. He keeps walking up to me and he gets right up to me and he goes, he looks me straight in the eyes. He goes, I don't suppose you saw what I saw down at that second blast site. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> so I, I said, I don't know, Jeff, what did you see? And uh, he proceeded to say, I saw three dark, huge, I don't know, Bigfoot, I guess. And of course at that, I, I went, yeah, <laughs> I saw yeah. him too, you know, and, and I, I really didn't need just corroboration because again, um, I'll never be able to unsee what I saw, but it was kind of, it, it felt good to know that somebody else had seen it, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, to have that verified and validated. Um, yeah. Uh, so whenever, Whenever you saw them, I just had a quick question. Whenever you sure. saw them rocking, um, did you feel threatened at all, or did you? Oh, not at was all. It, was not it just all they were? The distance was. Uh, I just measured it on Google Earth using the uh, measuring tool, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know why I didn't do this a long time ago. <laughs> it's two hundred and eighty-two yards or two hundred and eighty-two meters. Okay. Um, and there was a ravine between us. So I, I think they were a little anxious because they realized we were the source of, of these explosions and they were very curious and they, they, they came to check on us. I talked with, uh, Dr. Henner Fehrenbach, who's a primatologist about it at the time. And he said that rocking back and forth, he says, that's very common with primates, who feel anxious or threatened. Um, so anyway, um, I didn't personally feel threatened. I'm in a vehicle and we were just, they, I mean, they were, they were far enough away, but I, I'll say this. A lot of people might think that 282 yards is far off. Well, in the military, we trained to shoot with open iron sights, no optics at 300 meters. Uh, and, in that, we're firing at human-sized half torsos, if you will. So from like the belt line up, human-sized. So our targets are maybe, I don't know, three feet tall. Mm-hmm. It's just the upper half of them. They pop up, and we shoot them, try to knock them down. And I can shoot those 300-meter targets all day long. I missed the 150-meter ones. I don't know why, but I can always <laughs> hit those. I don't know. I was always good at those long distance shots, but, but anyway, if, if, if I can make out a half of a torso, a human sized torso at 300 meters, I can certainly make out three full size, eight foot, nine foot torsos out in the open on, on a clear blue day at 282 uh, meters. So anyway, uh, just getting back to, uh, to follow up on, on this witness part, is at that time I was a tradition, <clears throat> excuse me, a traditional guardsman, and that is where you have a 95 Monday through Friday job. 
you volunteer to train one week in the month, two weeks in the summer, that kind of thing. Um, eventually went active duty, but, um, back then that was the deal. And so the next drill would have been in May or the first week of May. And, uh, I was amazed to find out that we had two more soldiers, uh, come forward and, uh, admit to having had the exact same encounter. I mean, the, it was identical. Three, same description, three individuals. Um, and, you know, multiple, multiple, uh, animal sightings. I mean, multiple Bigfoot sightings are, are fairly rare. Multiple eyewitnesses, in this case, four, uh, of multiple animals is really rare and then of course you take into account the the activity we're doing so it, it makes it makes that sighting a little unique um i consider myself lucky i don't take any credit for it but i i can only say this i i to this day it amazes me how 25 seconds changed the the entire course of my life since that time I wouldn't be where I'm living today. I wouldn't be married to who I'm married to. I wouldn't have done so many of the things I've done and we wouldn't be talking right now. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I, I've been looking ever since it's 28 plus years now. And, uh, I, I'll, uh, now that I'm retired, I've got a little more time to do that, but it's, uh, uh, it's, it's a fascinating, uh, study and, and, uh, being a knower versus a believer right. uh, gives you, I think, a little advantage because you kind of look at things from a, a different perspective. And I think your eyes are maybe a little wider open than, than what they would have been if you just kind of hoped they exist. But yeah. anyway, that's, that was my, that was my initiation and, and I've been researching ever since. Okay. So you, you had your sighting, you had it corroborated mm -hmm. by other uh, soldiers. Mm -hmm. So that's more, that's, first of all, 25 seconds is a lot more than most people get with a sighting. Um, and right. then you had it validated. So you're already off to a pretty good start. So where did you go from there? Like, how did you get into the research part? Well, it's funny because uh, I can't remember the last time I had been in a library. I'm 35 or at that time, 34 years old. Uh, I made a beeline to the library <laughs> and I had to fill out paperwork just to get my card so I could check out books. And I went to the library. I wanted to check out anything, everything I could find on Bigfoot. I didn't even know it existed, but I, I found there's quite a bit of books out there on the subject. I never watched the TV programs and uh, never read anything on the subject. Now, now I've got a, 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 a an appetite for it. And so mm -hmm. I walked out with as many books as uh, they would allow me. I think a 10 books or something. <laughs> you probably thought I was a bookworm, but no. Anyway, um, I wanted to find out the latest, greatest, newest information on the subject uh, because now I'm hooked. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I I consume those books pretty quick, and uh, uh, little did I know I would I would come to meet a lot of those off, uh, authors and become friends with them. And right. uh, but at that time, I'm just I was a rookie. I'm just like, this is for me. This was personal for me. I really didn't have any intent to go public at all. Right. Um, a, a funny thing happened. 
a few months later, though, and I started thinking about uh, data on these creatures, and I kind of did a 180. Instead of looking for the newest information uh, I could find, I'm thinking, you know, these things didn't come around just when us Westerners or Europeans came around. It, they've had to have been here for a lot longer than that. So I started looking for the oldest information I can find. And, of course, that's going to take you into the uh, Native American or First Nations uh, realm. Um, and without a written language, um, it's challenging. It's challenging. But I have, over, over the years, made friends with a number of different tribal members and uh you know we've been here 300 years maybe mm -hmm. uh they've lived symbiotically with these creatures for at least 19,000 years so when you put that on a scale it's like a no-brainer they right. they have the knowledge uh um so anyway it wasn't until i don't know i saw i saw it uh, an advertisement, swear to God, in in the Oregonian newspaper, in the in the Help Wanted ads, um, that had large font and bold font, the word Bigfoot. And of course, I like went right to yeah, it. Laser beam. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? And then I uh, I uh, checking it out. It says. Um, Bigfoot research organization seeking uh, field researcher for 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 work uh, in the field. Blah blah blah. Well, I at this time I'm a vice I'm a vice president of a shipping company and I'm not interested in it. But they had that number, and I mm -hmm. can't make this up. It was one eight hundred Bigfoot, right? <laughs> and. Um, so I thought, what the hell, you know, a lot of, a lot of witnesses, especially those like at that time myself hold this, this experience to close to the chest and, and trust me, it, it eats you alive sometimes because you're always looking for an outlet, somebody that you can trust, somebody would take you seriously. And so I saw this as my opportunity and it just happened to be the Bigfoot research project that was headed up by Peter Byrne mm -hmm. uh, in uh, Parkdale on the just the other side of the mountain, Mount Hood from me. And I called, it went to recorder. I just said, you know, I don't know who you are. Uh, I don't know if you're legit, but I experienced something. If you want to, if you want to hear about it, here's my number, call me back. And they did. And, um, that's when, well, initially I met one of, one of his field researchers and I would come to find out that's kind of how Peter works. He doesn't, he's not the first one out of the box. He always <laughs> sends somebody to try to try to try to debunk it or try to at least uh, qualify it. Mm -hmm. And then he would, then he would come out if, if they're his field researcher said, yeah, I think that's legit. And so eventually I did meet Peter and, and we've been friends ever since. He's still alive at 96 and uh, still going in the field, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. goes out and sets up cameras and uh, um, I swear to God, he's going to outlive all of us, but <laughs> um, amazing man, amazing man. Anyway, he had asked me at one point to, he, he said, uh, Todd, there's this TV show called Unsolved Mysteries. And uh, 
I'm going to be on it. And, and they've asked me if you would like to be on it. And I'm like, Hmm. Oh, okay. And I'd never gone public, never gone public. So right. it was like, um, and actually I kind of, I didn't sleep very much that night because I'm thinking this is a huge, huge step mm-hmm. to go to a show that, that, you know, millions of, of viewership and, and, uh, I'm like, do I really know? Cause I'm like family man. I'm a non-commissioned officer in the military. I'm a vice president of a company I worked hard for my reputation. Do I really want to put it all out there and right. risk people questioning my honesty, my, my, my sanity. And, and I, so I, I just, I, I don't know if I flipped a coin the next day or what I promised I'd be there. <laughs> I, and that was kind of what drove me, but I, eventually I went up there and did that. And, and it's just kind of snowballed since then. I've I've uh, done over thirty TV shows and documentaries and and countless um, uh, speaking engagements at, at conferences and yeah, you know, I, I like it. And um, people that have known me for a long time, uh, they know I'm not prone to coming up with crazy stories like that. So, and anybody who doesn't know me, who cares, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, pretty much, um, pretty much. So you, you met up with other researchers, um, you investigated this further. Um, at what point did, so I'm guessing you were going out in the field and you were researching at Mm -hmm. what point did you decide that versus chasing down reports, you should just stick with one area and kind of mine that area? Cause I know that's what you do now. Well, it's funny. I had, I just had this conversation earlier today. Um, you know, you people have to understand you don't find Bigfoot. Bigfoot finds you, mm-hmm. and your best uh, mo, I would say, is to get into an area that's had a lot of activity. Um, Technical equipment is optional. I, I prefer to, to employ it. I've got seismic ground sensors uh, that nobody else has. I have um, um, infrared cameras. I have full spectrum color night vision cameras, motion sensors, blah, 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 drones, all that, you know, and, and of course, uh, digital microphones and, and uh, recorders. Um, I kind of like to to get that stuff out there because you only get one shot and and mm-hmm. you don't want to miss it. Uh, and anytime you can be alerted ahead of time that something's in the area, then you can kind of train your attention that way. Um, but the main thing is you get into an area where it's where there's been some recent activity, and there's actually one less than 15 miles from here that that we just got back from uh, spending three days up uh, researching and had some, some results. Mm-hmm. Um, but think about it. These, this species knows the terrain. They're built for the terrain. As far as they're concerned, you know, we look at mountains, they, they, they see them as flat. It, it doesn't slow them down a bit, right? you know, and, uh, they're they're more their senses are more heightened you know we get used to being around all kinds of different uh 
audio, audible distractions and, and visual distractions. And, and so uh, they're attuned to uh, their habitat. And trust me, they hear you, they, they see you, they smell you long before you even know they're around. And even if you did lock eyes on one and you tried to chase it down, you know, hold my beer, I'm not going there. But if, <laughs> if, uh, if you did, you're not going to catch one. You're not going to no, catch one. No. So let's, let's take that right off the list. Okay. You're not going to catch Bigfoot. You're not going to sneak up on a Bigfoot. What you need to do is get in an area where you know there's some activity. Um, again, optional, place some, some, um, some uh, equipment out in the field around your, your base camp. Go for walks in the daytime. Go looking for, for evidence. Look for tracks. Look for scat, hair, whatever you might find. Listen. Definitely listen. Um, I've killed more deer by hearing than by seeing. Mm-hmm. And it's just a fact. Your ears are your best your best tool. But listen, because they, they do make sounds. They make a pretty wide variety of sounds. Um, I, I've, I heard some stuff back in uh, uh, Nebraska in October that it was just phenomenal. Uh, and we can get into that if we've got time. But anyway, get in the area, look around. And then a lot of people, and, and I'm kind of along this line too, is put out some quote-unquote enticements. Uh, right. whether, whether it be people call them gifting things or whatever. But, you know, we know as as hunters, bait is a, a very um, great attractant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, put some things out, but not just, just food wise, uh, sound wise, uh, visual, visually put out things that might get their interest. For instance, let's go visual, uh, a chemical light stick makes no mm-hmm. noise. It's not anything that's, that's really frightening, you know, right. but why not just before sunset, go put out some light sticks, if you will, uh, different colors hanging from the trees or fishing line or whatever. It's it's innocuous. It's 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 non-threatening. It just may pique their curiosity to the point where they're going to come in and investigate it. Um, mm-hmm. I've known people to do. I mean, of course, you employ the conventional uh, tactics uh, as when it comes to hunting, uh, but. In the case of Bigfoot, we use a lot of unconventional tactics as well. Right. And and it's uh, um, you know nobody's got it right yet, so <laughs> you know got to kind of think outside the box. Right. And I've known people to hang like CDs on fishing line. Yeah. Because yeah. as the CD spins and the sun hits it, it puts off a rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Um, wind chimes you know again non, non-threatening but mm-hmm. but still mm-hmm. enticing so, so you want to kind of pique the the different senses of, uh, of these creatures because they are curious i mean just the fact that they these three that i saw in 1993 um let me back up a minute so so people and i and i would agree i think most people agree that if you're if you're sending a mushroom cloud, a very loud explosion, send a mushroom cloud 2,000 feet in the air, 
create a miniature earthquake, most animals in that area are going to go, you know, 360 degrees the opposite direction. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So given that, why did it take only an hour? And and again, I, I they could have been there sooner. I, I'm just saying mm-hmm. that's when I when I saw them. they they might have been there a half hour later. But to be able to overcome the the innate fear that most animals are going to have uh, in, in such a situation to overcome fear with curiosity and maybe protection or security as well. Uh, you know, they're, they want to want to know what's going on. Um, right. but, um, to be able to do that tells me they're inquisitive and, and inquisitiveness or curiosity tells me intelligence. Yeah. They want to know, they want to know. I definitely think um, there's, I I think you're dead on. They are intelligent. Um, So I am from Altus, Oklahoma, uh, which is right next to Fort Sill Air Force Base. And so Fort Sill is right next to the wildlife refuge. And there's, Mm -hmm. and they kind of mesh. There's the wildlife refuge and then there's Fort Sill. And they have where they do testing just like that. And there have been so many Bigfoot sightings in that area um, and you can't really get to, there, there have been some around where you can get to, but there have been more across the fence on Fort Sill land that you can't get to. And it's, it's the same thing. It's like, to me, my theory has always been, they know that civilians aren't going to be in that area. They know whenever you guys come into that area and they need to vacate, but otherwise it's kind of a people free zone until you guys come in. So it's, it's safer than the wildlife refuge where us civilians go and hike and look around, but That's it's the same thing. They're, that. they're dropping bombs all throughout that area. And well, if I'm not know, mistaken, Fort Sill is an artillery training area, is it not? It is. Yeah, yeah it's it is. huge for artillery, but it's funny you should mention that because, uh, uh, I was stationed at, at Camp Rylea, which is on the Oregon coast. Um, and we had like 15 training areas where we would do, you know, uh, full battle rattle combat, you know, uh, engagements with up, up for opposition forces. And we'd have, you know, of course, blanks, uh, mind you, but um, <laughs> we would have enemy forces trying to attack our particular uh, uh, talk or tactical operations center. And we would be shooting up, you know, our, our M16s and our, and uh, uh, back then the, the M60s and the 50 cals and we had grenade and artillery simulators and it was just, you know, you could imagine it was just a, a uh, quite a melee and like 30 minutes later, you know, there's still smoke lingering in the air. Mm-hmm. We'd have a herd of elk come through and just act like nothing ever happened because right. again, like you were saying, they know that, they know they're safe on the base because yeah. they can't be they can't be hunted there. No. But it just it never it never ceases to amaze me that they would, you know, they'd eventually come filtering back in and look at you and go right back to eating. Right. It's like they yeah. know. I mean, and so back to the intelligence part, the Bigfoot they're not stupid. They know that once you guys come in and do your thing, you gen you usually leave. And so, right. all right, well, they've done their thing. Let's go back in and we're good for another however long, you know, and they know patterns. They're not dumb. Sure. 
Sure. They know the rhythms uh, naturally as well, such as, mm-hmm. you know, the seasons. And, uh, for instance, here in, in Oregon, we have uh, a very regular um, fish runs. We We have summer steelhead, fall chinook, winter steelhead, and spring chinook, and you can set your watch to them. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you they're in tune with that, and they know to get down to the rivers at that particular time. They know when the crawdads uh, become, you know, uh, edible, and they go down. Mm-hmm. They've been seen rolling rocks over and, and, and snatching crawdads out of, out of the, the river. You know, I, um, mm-hmm. so they know what time it is. They know what year it is. I'm sure they know when our hunting seasons are, and they lay low and um, – you know, it's funny, even the deer and elk know that. I've I've gone deer hunting and had elks pretty much standing right next to me like, eh, not my time. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and just the opposite, just the opposite during elk season, you'll have deer all over the place. They just like, okay, we got through it, you know, mm-hmm. but, but yeah, they're in tune with nature there, but they're also, you know, and I think that's why, why they are so inquisitive. I think that's why they watch us because they want to learn from us. Uh, probably more the point uh, of of our routine, so they can avoid us. But at the same time, I think they're curious about, you know, hey, they're driving these vehicles, they're they're flying through the air, they're 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 domesticating animals, and that, it, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, just quickly while I'm on that, I told you about this place about 20 miles from here. Mm-hmm. It's called Old Maid Flats. It's on the west side of uh, the west slope of Mount Hood, uh, about 20 minutes from here. And there's a place called Riley Horse Camp, and I met some folks up there a couple weekends ago who ride horses. They ride endurance horses, and they go there specifically because of the elevation changes are so um, difficult uh, that your common quarter horse couldn't even wouldn't even do it uh, if you wanted to. But they exercise them up there, and uh, they've had encounters the last well now three years because. Based on their encounters in the last two years, uh, I wanted to go up with them this year, and they they actually had some some activity um, uh, while we were up there. Um, but I think you know they're they're like I think they are attracted to the horses. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the fact that they've ran up on them uh, on horseback, uh, similar to what. Uh, Patterson and Gimlet did back in 67 is that, you know, they're attuned to bipedal versus quadruped mm-hmm. footsteps. And you can talk to a lot of, there's a lot of hunters that will actually hunt on horseback and they can get up on animals easier than if you're on foot because of that very reason. The, anything that's got its, its uh, ears cocked to, to hear something coming they pretty much dismissed this the a four four legged four hoofed creature mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it allows them to get right, a little a little bit a little bit more on them and um but they've had for now three years um about this time of year they ride up from the Riley horse camp they'll go up zigzag mountain, which is very steep and very treacherous and very unhospitable um uh, and have had encounters and uh, even this year they had rocks and pine cones and stuff thrown out in front of them on the trail and 
um, which they've done every year. Um, but I think, you know, getting back to that whole curiosity thing, I think they're curious about the horse, of course, because they're different. They're different from the elk. They're different from the deer. But I think they're really, I told them this, I think what they're really fixated on is this relationship between man and animal, this, this fact that, that they've become domesticated and they work together. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's what gets their, uh, gets their attention. Um, but anyway, maybe so. I, digress. I know people, um, you know, sometimes, um, when they have small dogs or just pets, um, it seems like that attracts attention probably for that same reason. We don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't know. Again, there now from my, my, uh, my experience when it comes to dogs uh, and, and, and generally larger dogs, there seems to be a kind of a love hate relationship between them. And I think it's actually based on, 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 a, on a more primal scale, but, but, you know, foxes, coyote, wolf, Mm-hmm. They they are direct competitors with right. the with these creatures or this species for for the same food sources, and so um, just too many stories to not read something into it where dogs will generally cower mm-hmm. around them. Dogs that will stand up to bear and cougar will cower when these mm-hmm. things are around. Um, met a guy named Johnny Longfeather, real name, uh, <laughs> this Native American uh, who was carving, uh, you know, log statues, car- carving bears and, you, you know, all kinds of stuff. And, and I, I pulled in there one day and I started talking with him and he's like, so you hunt Bigfoot. And I go, well, not really hunt them. You know, I mean, I like I hunt for my keys or that one missing sock and you know, or a job, right. you know, it's not like hunt to kill, but yeah, I do look for them, but you don't plan to kill them. No, no. I said, okay, come be in my circle. And he took me in the back of this shop. I'm like, Oh God. And, uh, with this kind of hippie looking guy, uh, dude's going like, brother, you're in. I'm like, <laughs> what? So we get back there and there's like three wooden crates sitting in a circle on the floor. He says, come be in my circle. Okay. So we have a seat and, uh, he he pulls out this long, very traditional ceremonial pipe, uh, you know, wrapped in leather and deer horn bowl and feathers and, you know, the whole gig. And then he reaches in and grabs out this, vegetable material and i go oh dear god i can't smoke pot <laughs> uh I, I would come to you know he would do this whole thing and i would come to find out that it was sage that he is you know <laughs> just blessed for the right. four corners of mother earth or whatever and, and he says do as i do and we he would like get this sage going and then he would turn his pipe sideways to him and start wafting the smoke over mm-hmm. his head and then he handed it to me and I did it and we went around three times and then he starts talking he says now your spirit is pure now we can talk mm-hmm. like, okay so uh, uh, I'm pretty sure I'd undone that by now but anyway uh, 
so so he tells me about the story. He says, I'm I'm a I'm a logger from way back, and he says I I used to own a a, a wolf that was it was seven eighths percent wolf, right? Mm-hmm. And he said this wolf would not this dog would not cower from anything. And we were hiking one day through the Gipper Pinchon National Forest, and you know old growth. And he said suddenly my dog just got scared and literally wrapped itself around my legs and, and stood there shaking or laid there shaking. Anyway, he mm-hmm. says, I look, I looked in the direction the dog was looking and there, there it was, it was looking at us. And he said, we stared at each other for the longest time. He says, I think it was almost like 10 minutes. And then the whole time the dog's like, just didn't want anything to do with it. And, uh, he said, finally, after, you know, some time went by, he said, it basically looked at me and turned and walked off. And he said, he knew my spirit was pure and that his, I knew his was as well. And he just left us. And he said, that dog never went more than five feet ahead of him for the rest of the hike. Mm -hmm. Uh, it normally would run ahead, you know. But he said that, you know, so I don't know. I, I don't know what it is with dogs and them, but um, I've heard way too many stories that they just, uh, and again, I think it's kind of a primal thing that's that's passed along, but. Uh, Maybe so, or, you know, my theory on it is that, um, well, Bigfoot, you know, their main goal in life is to be undetected and dogs are little Alarm systems. Um, Tattletales. Yeah, that's why I bring my dog with me. If I go solo camping, I bring my dog because he's my little alarm system. He can hear. Sure. He can't hear now, but he used to be able to hear really well. (laughs) So much better than me. So um, that and then with the coyotes and everything, I have always felt like they had a symbiotic relationship because coyotes kind of clean up the mess that Bigfoot leaves behind. Like Bigfoot, they take down a deer they eat what they need and then they call they ring the dinner bell because i've i've just i have so many recordings and have heard with my naked ear so many times uh bigfoot will sound off coyotes sound off immediately afterwards and you hear coyotes and then oh yeah like i just think they call them to come clean up the mess like y'all can have the rest you know and kind of clean up any evidence we left behind and that's an interesting theory and 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 i've heard i've heard the same in fact i've i've heard myself personally um vocalizations from bigfoot and you'll hear on occasion you'll hear coyotes you know chiming in mm-hmm. you know and I, I just wonder what their relationship is if it's like the bigfoot sounds off and they're like all right we're in the hood and then the coyotes say we're over here we're hanging back you know we heard you you know and we're, we're we'll wait we'll wait on you i don't know but uh uh again uh, you can only imagine the the symbiotic relationship that goes back you know tens right. of thousands right. of years between between these and uh, and and the uh, and the other canines they have to deal with maybe so fear. fear fear we've all experienced it everyone knows what it's like to be afraid that sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach to feel that icy chill run up your spine Whether it be a ghostly apparition standing at the foot of your bed or the news of a serial killer prowling the streets of your town, everyone is afraid of something. 
The fact is, there are terrifying things on this planet, some of them natural, while others remain unexplained and the things of folklore. A lot of us find that the things that scare us the most are also the most fascinating. They cause us not only to draw back in fear, but at the same time draw us in with an unwavering curiosity. From the paranormal and unexplained, to true crime and the dangers of our very own planet, you can find all the latest episodes, links to social media, and more on planetfearpodcast.com. And be sure to subscribe to Planet Fear on your favorite podcast platform as we discuss all the things humans fear the most on Planet Fear. Um, okay, we did have a question from the chat. Um, okay. Alan, Alan Lasseter wanted to know, um, and I'm going to paraphrase because you mainly research in one or, you know, general vicinity now. So where all have you researched? Have you researched all over the U.S. or? So um, my main area is the Pacific Northwest uh, to include British Columbia and Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, Northern California. I have uh, had the opportunity to research in Arizona, and I know everybody's uh, mindset of Arizona is desert, but no, uh, Northern Arizona mm-hmm. actually gets quite a bit of snow and is very forested in, in, in uh, uh, a montane um, uh, scene. So, um, Mount Pelee, the Mongolian Rim, uh, Grand Canyon, you know, th- those areas are, get a lot of snow, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, most recently, now I've, I've done some some research in Ohio, but most recently, um, Nebraska, I was invited up by the Omaha uh, tribe to go on the reservation, and I spent a full week there, and I saw things... I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Um, but yeah, so basically West Coast, uh, but but I have had some opportunities to, to get out and okay. to different areas. Well, that's pretty awesome. Um, okay, so is the 93 sighting the only sighting you've had or have you had other sightings? Hmm. Well, I wish you would have used the word encounter, but, but because... Encounter. Because... <laughs> in well, so encounters come in different flavors. I mean, obviously, the the uh, ultimate encounter is a sighting, right? Right. But but there's other encounters. There's encounters with uh, vocalizations, like I, I talked about, and there's encounters with um, smell. In fact, mm-hmm. uh, these things are known for putting off a, a pretty awful smell. And I've mm-hmm. I've had I've had the joy of of uh, experiencing <laughs> that and I'm, i checked the list and, and and i i'm good with that um, um can you describe it the smell because so, there's so many very very many different smells that we've experienced with them okay so my experience a guy and i'll try to keep it short i know we're running out of time oh, but yeah. um uh, I, I, was, <laughs> I was following up on uh, i was investigating a sighting that happened on the roaring river which uh, is a tributary that comes into the Clackamas River, uh, kind of southeast from me right now, one of our, our major research areas. Uh, a guy went in uh, with his um, Australian Shepherd, full-grown full Australian Shepherd. He knew 
that about a mile upstream from where the Roaring River comes into the Clackamas, that there was a lava flow that crossed through the creek bed. And during the summer, the level of water would come down to a point where it exposed uh, a considerable uh, part of that, that lava flow. And embedded in that lava flow was what he called common opal. So he would go up there occasionally and uh, take his, his metal hammer, his metal chisel, and chip out this common opal that's uh, embedded in this, this lava. And so it was that day he was up there with his dog, and he just lets his dog roam freely. And he heard the dog growling, not barking, but growling, which is interesting. Um, uh, dogs will bark if they feel fearless, but if they feel any fear, they'll growl. Right. Um, anyway, it's growling and growling and growling and growling. The guy's like, come on. So he finally puts down his chisel and his hammer and, and walks up to where the dog's at to see what's got it. You know, he's thinking he's got a squirrel or a skunk or, a, you know, God knows what. And he got up to where the dog was at and he looked in the direction the dog was looking and he's, he didn't say Bigfoot. He said, uh, I looked where the dog was looking and there was a gorilla. And it was standing up on two legs. It was looking at my dog and with every breath, it was grunting. It was like, <laughs> did not oh, like, yeah. the, did not like, and yeah. I, I don't know. I think maybe they, maybe they, maybe their issues really with domestic dogs versus, you know, uh, yeah. wild, wild canines. But anyway, as soon as he saw that, he shoved the dog off the log because he said the dog's claws were dug into the bark of this down tree that it was standing mm-hmm. on. He said, I shoved that dog off and we ran like, no tomorrow and he's you know and there's no really no since the 96 floods there's really no clear trail going up that side of the river but he's jumping over logs and boulders and ferns that are four feet high and he's running for Mm -hmm. his life and 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 uncharacteristically this uh creature chased him and as you know i'm sure that's that's very unusual they they've never uh, normally they turn and walk away, but this, this in this particular case, it was aggressive, and it's kind of funny because he said, um, "We're running th- th- over you know, hill and dale," and he says, "I'm." He said, "A dog would start to pass me, and I grab his collar and pull him behind me." <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it's like I don't have to be faster than the bear; I just got to be right. faster than you, right? Yeah. So um, anyway. They got to a point where there was there's a kind of a rock clip that that you have to traverse to get uh, around this point. It, it's, it just hangs over the river. Mm-hmm. Three three point contact all the way around. You get around. It's about eighty feet long. Anyway, he got to that point and he stopped and they looked back to see if it was still pursuing him. And sure enough, it was about a hundred yards away. And as soon as they locked eyes, it charged them a second time and they scrambled over those rocks. Anyway, the smell. Um, myself and a friend, Steve, met with this gentleman and uh, and his dog. And, and uh, this time he was packing, as were we. And uh, so uh, we took the same route he took going in and um, got around that rock face 
went along this uh, kind of cliff, got to the site, took pictures. Sure enough, there's his 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 uh, hammer and chisel still laying on the rocks down at, mm-hmm. the, at the river. So and and there's a little collection bag that he had abandoned. So we knew it was you know that was kind of corroboration. And then uh, he showed us where the dog was, where he was, and where this gorilla was and we measured it at 47 feet mm-hmm. that's very close <laughs> yeah that's yeah too close 47 to 47 feet and really nothing between them there wasn't a lot of brush or anything i mean he's like less than 50 foot from a gorilla i mean but in reality how fast these things move because they have muscles that i, I well, promise see, we don't have it could have caught him I, I'm glad you brought that up because we had that conversation and uh, he said, I have no doubt right. that that thing was escorting us out. Yeah, absolutely. He said, there's no, he says, there's no doubt in my mind that if that thing wanted to overtake us, we wouldn't have had a chance. Uh, so yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. But anyway, getting back to the smell thing, we, we walked out the same way we came in. We were there 20 minutes turn around came back to this point maybe 10 minutes on the way back mm-hmm. and we walked into a wall of smell and by that i mean let's say somebody runs over a skunk right you can smell it long before you get to it and then when you pass it it's still in your car you're rolling down the windows trying to get that smell out for mm-hmm. the next quarter of a mile right this smelled worse than a skunk. It was stronger, more potent than a skunk, yet you didn't smell it at all. There was no tapering. Oh, it's starting to smell stinky. It's getting stinkier. Oh, wow, it stinks. No, it was like, it was like you walked into a wall of smell. It was so concentrated and focused in one area. I've never heard of of the, the kind of physics that that would take, but but then you could take 10 steps, maybe 20 steps through it and come out the other side and not be able to smell it. Hmm. It was bizarre. But, but to describe it, I would say if you had taken, um, uh, you got in your refrigerator, found it, this, this chicken package of chicken was expired and you said, Oh crap, mm-hmm. throw it in the, in the, in the garbage can. Unfortunately, the garbage man came yesterday, and so now it sits in there in the summer in 90-degree heat for a week, and then you go to throw one more bag in there and go, oh, my God, the, right. the ran- <laughs> this rancid, rotting meat, that's what it smelled like. It's, it, smelled like it smelled like roadkill, it, but here's the weird thing, Lauren. It wasn't there 30 minutes before. Right. We same walked area. right right through this area thirty minutes earlier. It was not there. And now all of a sudden it's there. And it has this 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 property to it where it's so concentrated in just one area. I don't I don't know what to make of it. I, I you know, we did a little grid search mm-hmm. out in the fr- just just to uh, I don't know why, because I, I knew whatever whatever created that was gone. But right. I th- I think we I think it was pretty close mm-hmm. when we were when we were coming back, and I think uh, maybe they used that as some sort of a uh, maybe like a skunk as a defensive uh, mechanism to try to slow you down or whatever. But holy, now I checked the block, I got the T-shirt, 
I ain't, I don't want to go there again. <laughs> <laughs> there's just, there's so many different smells and, and a lot of them seem to. Nothing like that. Uh, no, I've heard of the rotted meat smell, the dead carcass smell, um, vomit. That was, that was one, um, fecal matter. So I'll tell you. It's probably um, all of it mixed together. All of it I, mixed I mean, together. It's just, it's just. I mean, there's just different nasty. ones. Like the one I smell most often is urine. Um, can't verify that that's probably the not the researcher next to me and they just don't want to cop to it i don't know but i'm gonna go with it was bigfoot maybe um you're in a cow manure in fort sill area you smell cow manure mm. a lot and in places where well, there's yeah, not cow manure um and rotted wood that's a whenever i'm in the kaimichis or something like that i get rotted wood a lot but can't find the source of the smell and, and i've heard uh locker room oh mm. <laughs> you know, I don't envy Bigfoot's dating scene at all. No. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> um, so I wanted to touch on, uh, go ahead and get into the um, American Primate Conservancy, because that I know that you guys do your research and that you um, kind of your goal, one of your goals is to um, establish a management program to ensure their existence for future generations and all of that. Mm -hmm. So tell me about the American Primate Conservancy. So the American Primate Conservancy, and, and let's let's just for a moment hit on primate because I just had this argument earlier today. <laughs> People think primates are monkeys. You know, monkeys are primates, okay? Um, mm -hmm. You know, newsflash, humans are categorized as primates mm -hmm. the prime the prime mean prime meaning primary like prime rib i mean it's yeah it, it is a classification that includes humans so that's why uh we're we feel confident using that term american primate conservancy because it, it covers everything from lesser apes to humans so mm -hmm. um but uh the American Primate Conservancy was founded in 2015. Um, it was kind of a, a, a combination of my wife's uh, research program, which was stocking hominid research, and um, and I had the American Primate uh, Foundation. So I said, you know, why do we have two websites? Why are we doing duplication? Let's let's just kind of combine it and, and so we came up with American Primate Conservancy and and there's five tenets or, uh, of our mission statement which is the discovery research knowledge recognition and protection of this species and it, if you think about it it's got to happen in that particular order it's like a clock you know knowledge well we're there now mm -hmm. oh, excuse me excuse me discovery discovery I mean how many thousands of, of reports do we have to have to say, okay, they've been discovered. They're discovered a lot more than most people realize. Mm -hmm. um, so then research, that's ongoing. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts to that, a lot of different organizations doing different things. That's great. Uh, we're not getting a lot of mainstream science involved. Uh, and if we have time, we can touch on that. But the, the thing is, um, Research is ongoing. Knowledge data is being collected. Um, so here's where we're at. We're between 
discovery, um, research and knowledge. And now we're, now we're button up against this very difficult point of recognition. And I mean, recognition by a scientific body like the IACUN, the international union of, um, conservation of nature, which is uh, ran out of Stockholm, Sweden. They have been tasked nationally, internationally as being the go-to for the health of certain species are the ones that put out the, the red list, which mm -hmm. has nine different levels of, of from perfectly functioning safe uh, species to extinction. Um, but there's nine levels in that, not just endangered or, or, or uh, threatened. Those are like kind of in the middle. There's, there's a number, you know, nine different uh, categories. They're the ones that are allowed to actually give up the binomial uh, uh, nomenclature, you know, like Homo sapien or Homo erectus or, you know, they are the ones that actually get to verify that internationally and attach a name to a new species or subspecies as it might be. Um, that is a hard sell. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, as you know, that the, the, the whole Bigfoot show, if you will, has mm -hmm. become kind of just that there's, there's a lot of, you know, we could talk about hoaxers. Um, I, I, I personally put them in about a 1% bracket, um, where, where some of these, this evidence is being found is so far off the beaten path that a, a hoaxer would have to know a person's going there and B, they're not going to go that far out of the way to, to do a hoax. There's a lot of, you know, misidentifications of animals. Mm -hmm. Uh, people get out in the woods, especially if they're not comfortable and all of a sudden everything's a big foot. Um, it's true. The, um, one that gets me is, is the, um, exploitation of them through commercialization, if you will, mm -hmm. because I mean, let's face it, there's Bigfoot tires, Bigfoot campers, mm. Bigfoot, Bigfoot is used to sell everything from beef jerky to you name it, coolers, you know, and the thing is, it's always done tongue in cheek, it's done as a joke. And so, you know, you can, all these things combined tend to give uh, serious researchers, a black eye, right, and right. and unfortunately, as a as a, a byproduct of that, uh, mainstream scientists shy away from it. They don't, you know, their reputations. I get it. Their reputations are everything that it determines whether they get that professorship, whether they work for the government or in the medical mm -hmm. industry or whatever it may be. And a lot of them are afraid to step outside the box. Now, kudos to people like Dr. Jeff Meldrum, uh, Professor Grover Krantz, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Henner Fehrenbach, Todd Disitel, and there's, there's a handful out there, uh, Steiner, you know, but, but mainstream science, especially people starting out, they're a little, you know, gun shy of getting involved in the, in the subject, but for the reasons I just mentioned, um, so um, there's a couple of programs that 
the American Primate Conservancy is is associated with one. Uh, I was a founding member of a group called Share, which is Sasquatch Hunters Academic Research Exchange, and the idea was we've got all these different groups, all these different individuals out there doing all their own little things, and and yeah, you can like you can have a little mushroom group over here that consists of a couple hundred people and over here there's another we wanted to have a big enough umbrella that we can get them all underneath to get to to, to do a um what you call a uh open help me out here i'll get back to it. but anyway basically a, a a database that everybody can access right and and share information hence the name share right and then another <laughs> one so um and and we understand that the other big divide between amateur researchers and scientists is the discipline mm-hmm. uh, not just the specific discipline they're involved with in, but the discipline in, that goes into uh bona fide research the the kind of discipline that gets you published in a in a scientific publication uh with the backing of of uh at least you know three of your uh associates uh independent of each other um the techniques i mean again it's kind of like amateur amateur hour right now the techniques we use everybody's kind of got a different idea we're all Mm -hmm. trying different stuff you know but if we're going to sell this if you will to the mainstream scientific community you've got to step up your game you can't expect them to come down to our level right right? okay so if that's the case how do we find out how to 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 elevate our game if it were so we've been working with some um uh doing our own research and then working with other um, academics that were learning how to develop sops with share i think we've I think we're last I checked, we were about 37 different SOPs, everything from mm-hmm. track casting to evidence collection to drone uh, usage to what have you. And we're putting together these SOPs and making them available to to everybody. And then we, we then we we kind of also offer them um, access to the formats that scientists use. You know, you should be able to write any scientific paper. And anywhere it says Bigfoot, you should be able to redact that and put Western Sahara red frog or mm-hmm. butterfly, you know, blueback butterfly or uh, some certain fish or whale or whatever and make it read just as readable as if you had Bigfoot in there. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's, it's, yeah. it, you should be able to just take out, you know, a lot of times just as a, as a, as a hobby, I'll be reading through National Geographic or some other um, paper and they'll say, oh, we found a southern right whale that thought we was extinct and they go into detail. And I will mentally replace that word southern right whale with Bigfoot or some weird spotted frog they found or whatever. And it's interesting when you do how well it reads, mm-hmm. you know, because it, yeah. it, 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 it almost makes Bigfoot sound normal, mm-hmm. common, right? Yeah. So anyway, um, 
So where were we? Um, so the, the main second point is that they, they, we have another, uh, of course, we work with the uh, Olympic Project, some great people up there uh, doing some wonderful, wonderful things. Uh, another group that I helped founded, uh, helped found was the Project Zoo Book. Mm-hmm. And and there we're actually instead as opposed to share where we're you know kind of trying to restructure our, our 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 reports and whatnot to meet criteria of scientists we're actually working with uh, in this case uh, a number of primatologists uh, on the basis that they remain anonymous <laughs> but we have ran into an, actually a, a pretty good group uh, and and not all from the same zoo but a, a pretty good group of folks that work with primates that have secretly had uh interest in bigfoot and uh, amy boo i'm sure you're aware of her you know amy amy's the one that kind of kicked that off and and we uh we're actually in direct contact and have regular meetings with these primatologists. Mm-hmm. They bring their questions. They have as many questions of us as we have for right. them. And it's it's a it's a great great format, a great forum to get together with. So so that's kind of that's kind of where we're at with things. I, I think at this stage we need to be able to um, avoid the the slings and arrows that, that we get thrown at us because of all the the mockery that comes with big footing and and try to put our uh, our reporting and our data collection uh, in a very scientific format. And I think in mm-hmm. doing so, we're going to be able to, to slowly but surely gain the confidence of other uh, scientists out there. And that's the key. And then once we get uh, evidence uh, to the point, to the level where they will be recognized, uh, scientifically by the uh, IUCN, um, uh, then then we can enact those protections. And a lot of people will say, oh, leave them alone. They don't need to protect it. They're doing great. I'm like, okay, you know, quiz time. How many, raise your hand if you can tell me how many Bigfoot exist today, right? Right. Uh, and I said, okay. How many existed 500 years ago? Uh, and then it's like, what is their general litter? They have one, two, three. How often do they procreate? What's their lifespan? What are their resource needs? What are their habitat needs? And if you can't answer those questions, you, you, you're, you're, you're lying to yourself. It's a, you're, you're fantasizing that they're just fine. Mm-hmm. Without us, I mean that's that's a great you know that's a great you know thought, but right. uh, it's not accurate. Uh, I've studied extinction in animals. We have tons of we have tons of photographs, mostly black and white, some even in color, mm-hmm. of animals that we know for a fact have uh, existed and they're gone. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely yeah. gone. Right. And we and, knew they were there. And mostly it was based on ignorance. Right. We, we don't ignorance. know if something we're doing is hurting the species or, you know, yeah. So we can't, um, we can't, we, we can't just based on ignorance say they're fine. We need to find out exactly because like, you know, you started off the show saying, I want 
my goal is to make sure that however rare my sighting was, that my my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren have just as much, if not more, of a chance to experience what I did. And if I can't do that, um, it's uh, I, I can't go to my grave without knowing I did something to at least uh, affect something in a positive way. Because when I saw what I saw, and you have to ask why. You have to, right. you know, I, and I have to think there was a purpose in what I was exposed to, mm-hmm. and um, I think I found that through this this conserv- uh, conservancy. I think so as well. And I love that you're preserving it for future generations. That means something to me, especially with my kids and um, my mission of helping the future footers of America um, come (laughs) along in their education. Um, So on that note, we'll wrap up the show. If you'll tell me about your plans for the Bigfoot Interpretive Center. So, um, when we first started the the conservancy, we had a four phase program. One because both my wife and I worked uh, myself active duty army, and she had worked for DHS. You know, we would have vacation time, we would have um, weekends, of course, and we would devote a lot of that to Bigfoot research. But um, phase two was after we retired was to get out. Uh, now, at that time, we lived aboard a, a, a 40-foot uh, yacht that was rated for coastal cruising, and uh, we lived on it in Portland for like three and a half years before we moved up here to the mountain. Our, our idea was to take our, our boat up to British Columbia and spend an entire summer investigating these these primitive uh, wilderness inlets that go in for you know 60 to 80 miles uh that are glacier fed uh and and all these uninhabited islands up there um but as it would turn out um number one we ended up selling selling the boat number two um i kind of got a a, at least a sneak peek at what we wanted to do on a small scale um operation sea monkey in in 2016 September 2016 uh, was kind of a uh, exploratory expedition to go up into the Broughton Archipelago uh, between the northern tip of Vancouver Island and and the uh, main uh, mainland British Columbia hundreds of small islands that was that kind of at least temporarily checked that block I'd really like to spend an entire summer doing that phase three. Uh, which is kind of where we're at now is what we'd like to do is establish uh, a, a Bigfoot uh, interpretive center um, on a on a on a pretty grand scale. We're talking mm-hmm. millions millions of dollars. But what we'd like to do is, I'm sure most of your listeners are aware of um, uh, Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops. I guess mm-hmm. they're kind of one of the same now, but. But that kind of a that size of a structure, uh, but we want to have a meeting hall or conference center there, a theater, uh, of course, exhibits, art gallery, laboratories, classrooms, um, uh, outdoor amphitheater, um, mm-hmm. 
and and uh, obviously administrative offices and whatnot, and and, and got to have the gift store, right? No, so, please. but anyway, that's that's our long range plan. I'm I'm uh, I'm trying to get to that that point. I'm I'm dealing with a lot of uh, personal issues right now, I'm trying to get uh, 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 my own affairs in order now that we're both retired and and, mm-hmm. and to where we're we're at a. a, a financial position to start uh, chasing that down right. uh, obviously it would involve uh, other people's money so but we're looking <laughs> at grants donations yeah. um, um, sponsorships and whatnot and working yeah. maybe with the uh, chamber of commerce and uh, the the state lottery to because it is something that will uh, increase tourism and I think it's long overdue to be quite honest with you yeah so so we're looking forward to getting that off the ground here probably in the next year, at least, you know, get get uh, some of the legal and financial things in order. But it's going to take a little time, but that's oh, that's my ultimate goal. Yeah. But it'll be, it'll be worth it. I think it sounds awesome, and I can't wait to see you guys uh, get that going, and um, I'll come see you. Okay. <laughs> Bring the kids, you know. Um, it'll be fun there'll be um, interactive displays and, yeah. and all kinds of stuff yeah. it's gonna be it's gonna it sounds like it's gonna be awesome and I, I can't wait for you to get that going for sure um i'm trying to think i just want to see if there's any more questions from the chat that i didn't get to um, let's see <laughs> so Cal, um have you ever been out with chris spencer <laughs> oh yes I- yeah, uh, okay. Not like we're dating or anything. No, no, I've been that <laughs> no. Chris is a good friend of mine. He, he's uh, oh he works hard up there uh, um, in the Mount St. Helens area, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. we're good friends. And yeah, he's 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 got it going on. And um, I've been up there with him once, and uh, we we kind of test flew my drone while I was up there, and uh, he took us into some of his his area x or whatever it was mm-hmm. but yeah he's he's a he's he is uh, amazing not just uh, you know his forte is is audible uh vocalizations he mm-hmm. does the visual spectrom uh, spectrometry and uh sonic visualizer i guess they call it uh along with uh david uh, ellis uh, but they're doing some great things, and uh, oh, sure. he's a, he's a real real hard worker, and I look forward to working with him more in the future. Yeah, I watched a YouTube video over his long term audio drops, and I was like Bigfoot researcher lusting after that equipment. Like it was just, I loved oh, yeah. that setup. It was insane. So, I mean, he's definitely um, he's got it going on. But Todd Hale always asks that question, and it was just <laughs> was that <laughs> Todd? Yeah, that was Todd. He was trolling. Um, that's what he does. And it's hey, like, Todd. <laughs> um, Greg has a great idea for your center. Um, he said mm-hmm. you should put a casino in it. It'll pay for itself. Uh, yeah. yeah, a little easier said than done, but uh, <laughs> it's a great um, it's a great suggestion, Greg. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's coming. <laughs> okay, we've got. Um, that's a great question from Alan. Is Bigfoot the only cryptid that you have researched or experienced or believe in? Well, oh gosh, yeah, you just changed it up on me. Um, <laughs> I, I've only experienced 
I used the word experience. So I'm going to. So last October, I spent time on the on the Omaha Inn and Reservation and experienced something, um, some things actually. Uh, I'm convinced it was Bigfoot. Um, I've, I've, I've heard of this thing called eye shine. Okay. And we're not talking about creatures shooting lasers out of their eyes, but, <laughs> and, and not even reflection because we know cats and deer and elk and do- even humans will you know, get the red eye, you know, mm-hmm. with a camera, mm-hmm. camera flash. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking organic bioluminescence that is generated similar yes. to what a firefly can do certain certain uh fish uh, uh aquatic animals do mm-hmm. uh i never bought into it but i have to tell you i spent five nights in a row on the reservation i, I haven't been real public about it because i am still searching for for answers but yeah. um and it's it's hard to wrap your researcher brain around um okay so my my omaha host would would call out to them you know he'd say oh ho kage which means hello friends and then he would say gigaho which means come closer and i swear to god within like 15 to 30 seconds you'd see a pair of eyes mm-hmm. light up i'm like what the what the heck's that and then Sometimes a second pair of lights, and sometimes we would see three sets of eyes. You'd see them blink. You'd see them turn left to right. You see them move left, to, not like a firefly. I mean, they yeah. they would like move to the left. They'd squat down. They would move forward. They would move back. Mm-hmm. It, it was just unbelievable. And I'll tell you, Lauren, without without the accompaniment of numerous vocalizations. Uh, I'd be even more confused, but um, <laughs> what I heard a number of different vocalizations that came from those encounters that were amazing, absolutely mm-hmm. amazing. There's one I call the singer, and it was a, I, I can only guess it was a female. It was the first night we were there, and she, it, let off this very high pitched tune. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it it lasted between five and eight seconds. It changed not only in pitch but volume at different points in this eight second song. Mm-hmm. And it'd be about a ten second break, and she'd do it all over again. Exact hmm. exactly. Every note, every change in pitch and volume, the same as the first one. She did it four times in in about a minute, hmm. and I'm I'm telling you, it wasn't threatening. It was, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely beautiful. I, I I wish I had recorded it. And we heard her one more time. That was a Monday night. We heard her Wednesday, and she did that same little ditty, but she just she just did it, just did it once. Mm-hmm. Um, some whoop sounds in the middle of a prayer that my 
native friend was said he was going to pray with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, tr- rapid fire tree knocks, uh, extremely loud, extremely fast, uh, six times, uh, nobody around, broad right. daylight. Um, so, you know, have I seen other cryptids? I didn't see these guys. I, I mean, again, we're looking at a pitch black. I did see what I'm fairly certain is we're, we're Bigfoot or, or, or something, some very variant of them. Um, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I, I've been studying, I've, I've just been studying bioluminescence and trying to figure out if it exists in mammals and mm-hmm. how we can explain this. But, uh, yeah. well, let me know what you find out. I experienced that, uh, last week actually for the oh, first you time. Did. And, at, um, isn't that at, weird? It, it's like you... what I saw was, um, like a pale blue, almost white, yep. but right. it was dull. It was like, it was like, I don't know if you've seen the military flashlights that, um, after you turn them off, they have that glowing ring in them. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that except pale blue and it was dull and it was out across the property and I could see two eyes and, um, my so my mom was the person with me and she said that she has seen on full moon nights she has seen actually where they not only give off a glow but when it looks down it lights up the ground a little bit even see that okay well you think I, that would be almost self depreciating you know what i mean yeah you would i mean like, like for me scientifically i can't imagine how that would because they have to have fantastic night vision so i'm not sure yeah. why biologically why that would be that way but if i hadn't experienced it myself i would have i would have written it off but i did and it wasn't just in that spot there was more eye shine over here that i saw and then i had my first ever i'm I'm not sure what to call it sighting i saw the outline of a figure standing there i saw the eye shine look at me it turned away and then i saw the dull outline of a humanoid figure and then nothing, and then I saw trees again. And it was my very first almost sighting, and I was pretty excited about it. I was, like, falling out of my seat trying to get closer to look at it. Um, but it was that bioluminescent eye shine that just it tipped me off, and it was it was like a dull glow-in-the-dark. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because uh, over the period of, of five nights, and we were we were going out, he would not even, we wouldn't even go out until midnight. And we would, we wouldn't come back until two thirty, sometimes three. I mean, there were times I, I, I would have stayed here till the sun came up, and he's like, "No, I got to get some sleep." But I mean, we saw over the course of five nights, and this actually was in at four four nights. We're in one place, and and uh, one night we we checked out another place and still had it going on. But the eye shine was at times pretty bright mm-hmm. um i actually shine my flashlight at it and a pretty powerful flashlight and figured it would overwhelm their eyesight now my flashlight as bright as it was you could still see their eye shine through the, the beam of light mm-hmm. um, but it would go from white to like you mentioned a, a an off bluish hue uh 
on a couple occasions went orange and almost red or dark orange. Uh, but mostly it was kind of that blue white light you're talking about. One time we went to a place called, they call hard knocks, uh, on the reservation again. And, uh, because we weren't having a whole lot of activity in this one place. And he said, come on, just drive over here. It's about four miles away, completely different area. We get over there and it was rough road getting in there. And I'm driving a rental car like, dude, don't screw up my car. <laughs> and, and we got in, I mean, the grass was higher than the hood of the car. I couldn't mm-hmm. even see the road. I'm like, am I still on the road? Yeah, oh I think gosh. so. Anyway, we got into this area where it kind of cleared out, and we we turned down, kind of pointed down this one road and turned off the lights. We're there for about a minute or so, letting our our eyes adjust, and then uh, then he goes, "Okay, let's give this a try." And he does his little, you know, his call, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, right down in line with the direction I had the the car pointed, but quite a ways off, maybe a hundred yards, these two eyes pop up. I'm like, son of a bitch. I mean, yeah. whole different area. Right. And then we uh, then we actually caught one at about our three o'clock trying to go behind us. Hmm. But its eyes gave it off. Yeah. And I looked and I looked at my friend and I said, he's Native American guy. I'm like, look at him, I go, I'm getting frustrated by this time, right? And I'm like, have you ever attempted to approach them? And he's like, Hell no. <laughs> and i'm like okay dude i said hold my beer oh my god and he said what well, i wasn't drinking but you know yeah, yeah no. i just i'm walking into pitch black it's it's october so all these oak and maple leaves are all dried up laying in the road i can't even see the road i'm just crunching leaves with every step walking toward this pair of eyes mm-hmm. and they're just watching me and I'm, I disappear in the dark and I got, I, I probably got about 50 feet away when they took off, but did I, they, I'm just like, did it make a lot of noise or was it just, no, they just blinked out basically. Just, Man. they, they were there and then they weren't, I, but That's I just started, I just started creepier. walking to her. He still so thought about hear it. He's anything? like that. He's, he's like that white man is crazy. <laughs> so you didn't hear any any kind of no vocalizations nothing? no at that particular place what they call hard knocks which apparently they get a lot of knocking activity mm-hmm. at that particular location now we didn't I, I don't recall having any vocalizations there but the original site the original place where we spent four out of five nights we had vocalizations almost every time and Man. it was phenomenal amazing it's crazy yeah well Oh, well, I guess that answered my question, but it also raised about 50,000 other questions, which that's the Bigfoot phenomena in a nutshell <laughs> that I've learned. Um, well, okay. Thank you for coming on tonight. And I feel like we almost need a part two because I'm sure we haven't covered half of, you know, all of the stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we'll have to have a part two and we'll make it a members only. How about that? That'd be great. I appreciate it. Thanks awesome. for having me on. Yeah, no fun. problem. Thank you for coming on and uh, tell Diana I said hi and I love her. <laughs> I will do that. All right. Thank you, Don. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Good night. All right. You good. have a good night. Bye-bye. You too. Okay, everybody. Thank you for coming on tonight and uh, 
tuning into the show. I hope you liked it. Uh, please drop a comment below. Let me know what you thought about it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Hit that notification bell so you don't miss all my upcoming shows. Um, like I told Todd, I do have a members only section where I have exclusive shows that you can only access if you're a member. So be sure to visit buymeacoffee.com backslash nightcrawlers and become a nightcrawler today. Um, all of my members only shows are phenomenal content. You don't want to miss it. The last one I did was with Derek Randalls of the Olympic Project, and it is a really great show. Go check it out. Um, I want to give a special shout out real quick to all the affiliates of Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio. Go check out their sites, give them a like, um, give them a listen and support them. They are all awesome. First, we have Bigfoot Society podcast with Jeremiah Byron. Um, Jeremiah puts a lot of time and effort into his content and it shows he is the gold standard of cryptid podcasting. So go check him out. We have Bigfoot Crossroads with Matt Knapp, also my partner on Planet Fear. So go check out Bigfoot Crossroads and then head on over and check out Planet Fear with me and Matt Knapp. Weekly drops on our shows. Um, we do true crime, paranormal, cryptids, anything fearful on this planet. Um, you can also check out Where in the Folk. That is on YouTube, and they do all kinds of different shows. So you guys definitely go check them out. It's a great group of guys. They're really funny, and they really get into their content. Um, Weird Realities. That one is a Nightcaller's production. I do not host the show, but I produce it. And that is a whole team of authors that have banded together, and they produce content. It's out of this world, you guys. I learn something every time I listen to it. So definitely go check out Weird Realities and all of the things that they have going. And don't forget to support Beaver Hook Productions with Logan Craft. He is the one who is a saint and does my video editing. And just bless that man. Um, he's super talented. So go check out all of his stuff and give him a like and a listen. So that's all I have for you tonight. Thank you again, everybody, for showing your support, coming out and listening. And, um, I, you guys, I seriously, I appreciate all of you. I appreciate every like, every comment, every share that you guys give me. Um, so I just want to say thank you for that. Uh, you can go to nightcallersproductions.com to see a full list of all the projects that I do and, uh, keep up with everything that I do there. And, uh, that's all I got for you tonight. So you guys know the drill, stay safe, be kind, and I'll see y'all next time.